the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. Uh, we, are, we are in the Didache, and um, I'm trying to finish the Didache before Thanksgiving, which would be this week and next week, and then, uh, and then we'd be finished with, we'd have a break. I don't know if that's going to happen because uh, it is such a fascinating book, and there's a couple things I want to say. Um, but actually, I shouldn't say that because the rest of the chapters are not as interesting as the ones we've gone through. We did baptism, and now we're in the middle of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is contained in Didache chapters 9 and 10. And uh, it's basically the, ch- the order of the church. Uh, in chapter 9, we talked about uh, coming together and have the Eucharist uh, and some words that are used with the Eucharist, which are great. Um, and then it said in chapter 9 that nobody should uh, should partake of the Lord's Supper or, or the Eucharist unless they are baptized because uh, Jesus said, give that not which is holy to the dogs. And the dogs... Uh, in the Jewish tradition, the the dogs were anybody who was a non-Jewish person. I mean, that that actually had a significance to them. Um, that that's uh, it was a slang term used by uh, by Jewish people. I wouldn't say slang term, but that's that's the term that was used by non-Jewish people of Gentiles, basically. So that was that was something in present in the time of Jesus. Um, but now we're in chapter 10 of the of the Didache, and it's interesting. Well, I'll just read it again. I think here. Um, but after you're satisfied with the food, give thanks thus. We give thanks to you, the Holy Father. And so it, it just sounds strange to our ears about this whole satisfaction of food because we don't get satisfied with food at the Eucharist, um, at the Lord's Supper, because we celebrate the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning in the middle of what we call our worship service. And that tradition probably gelled somewhere around the second or the third century. But in the early, early, early church, uh, you'll have to remember they did not have a worship service like we have on Sunday morning. They um, they gathered together daily in the temple courts for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and uh, it was that whole idea of coming together in a worship service didn't really happen until later. Uh, pretty soon, they did gather together in house churches, and they did do some some form of worship in those house churches, and then it was moved into an actual formal worship space, and then. The Lord's Supper was moved into that time. There's no question about that. But in the early, early, early church, um, it was different. And the reason we know it was different was because, well, a couple things. One is the Apostle Paul. If you'll remember in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul is writing about the abuses of the Lord's Supper. Um, This is 1 Corinthians 11. And I'll I'll just bring it up here. 1 Corinthians 11. Concerning the abuse of the Lord's Supper, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. 
In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. This is certainly not in this manner. <clears throat> so what Paul's talking about is when you get together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it doesn't seem like you're doing it well. It's like some of you eat, some of you don't eat, some of you get drunk, some of you don't get drunk. But he goes on. Um, uh, yeah. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So just a brief pause here. These are pretty close to the words that we use to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we use them here. Uh, there's four places where the words of institution are shown in Scripture. One is Matthew, Mark, Luke. There isn't in John. John talks about foot washing and the Lord's Supper's different location. Um, and then here in 1 Corinthians. And so what we say, the words of institution that we say, are pretty much these, except that we add a few more things that we find in some of the other Gospels to add on to it. Okay. So then, this is verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, whatever that means, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So there you have it. And do we have the further directions from Paul? No, we don't. So let me explain to you how the Lord's Supper happened early, early, early in the church. If you remember, Jesus celebrated this whole thing. They were in the middle of a religious meal. It was called the Passover meal. Uh, they found a place. They went up into the upper room. They were celebrating the Passover meal. In the middle of the Passover meal, Jesus created a holy space. And what he said was, Remember, this is the night before he's about to be, this is the night he was betrayed. So this is the night before he dies. And there's wine on the table and there's bread on the table. And Jesus says, this is a holy sacred time. I'm doing something different. I'm instituting something different. 
And he picked up the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. And he picked up the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in the midst of a context where everybody gathered together, Jesus paused and said, this is my body, this is my blood. So when the early church gathered together, um, they, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. It could have been in a number of different gatherings together. Uh, remember, there wasn't a worship service. The, the only time they really gathered together, um, well, not the only time. They gathered together in a whole bunch of different times. But then when they would gather together, they would pause and say, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper didn't, it wasn't necessarily limited to the worship service. It could have been limited. It could have been any time where there was, where there was bread or wine together. And they said, let's pause and let's remember Jesus. Now, the, the, this book that I've shared with you called Early Christian Speak, right, which is um, by Everett Ferguson, and I have volumes one and two. I have volume one uh, on my internet. And I just, I want to read to you a little bit about what it says on the internet. And so let's just go over there. And I'm going to start at the very bottom. This is, uh, I don't know, does my mouse work on this? Um, no, it doesn't. Okay. So I am one, two, three, four lines from the bottom. And this is what it says. The Eucharist in the Didache appears to be set in the context of a social meal. This may have been the usual setting in the early days of the church. Jesus instituted the memorial of himself during the celebration of a religious meal. That's right, during the, Lord, uh, during the Passover. The disorder at Corinth, and I just read 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34, were occasioned by the circumstances of a common meal. Gathered together, perhaps in a house church, to eat together, would have been the time when the necessary elements were present for the communion. But, and this is a big interesting part, but very soon, perhaps under the influence of such instructions as Paul gave the Corinthians, the Eucharistic celebration was separated from the common meal. And the evidence of Pliny uh, is usually taken as implying this separation in Bithynia, Bithynia uh, at the beginning of the second century. So that would be beginning of the second century, which is, uh, what, 100 AD maybe? Uh, Justin's account leaves no room for a meal. In the second century, the fellowship meal developed separately as a love feast. Now remember that, the love feast or the agape feast. The prayers in the Didache may have been punctuated as in Jewish synagogue practice by congregational response. The curring phrase, to you be the glory forever, sounds like a congregational acclamation to the thanksgiving expressed by the leader of the prayers. All right, so... I think I'll end there for just this part. So it sounds like Jesus instituted the Last Supper. And then, of course, he is uh, he's killed. He rises again. He comes back to the apostles, and then he spends some time with them, and then he's ascended into heaven. Uh, and then the early church, they tried to... Um, develop the Lord's Supper as part of what they called the just a normal common meal. And the normal common meal would have been anytime they gathered together for a meal and there was bread and there was wine, they would pause 
and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So this could have been uh, any time, really. It, it, it eventually happens on Sunday, and it eventually happens on Sunday evening. What they're talking about is they're coming together as a church. Now, this is interesting because when we first started Christ Lutheran Vale Church 15 years ago, it was the summer of 2005, uh, where we started gathering together. The way that we did that was through a meal. Uh, and what we did was on Sunday afternoon, we hadn't started worshiping yet. People were still worshiping at their own uh, churches. <laughs> so if you were worshiping on Sunday morning at your, um, you know, whatever church you were at, you could stay there. But then on Sunday evening, we gathered together and it was kind of like a potluck. Everybody brought their own meal. And uh, there was a time of singing, maybe two or three or four songs. There was a time of teaching. Uh, I would get up there and teach a teaching. Uh, and then there was a time of meal and there was a time of fellowship. Now, if you think about it, and there was a time of prayer. If you think about it, that was, by any definition, church, right? Because it was gathering of God's people. We gathered together for fellowship. Uh, the breaking of bread, uh, apostles' teaching, and prayer. Everything that we had at that meal is included in Acts 2, 42 to 47. By no means, it didn't look like Sunday morning worship, but it was by every, by every means a pot, a, a, you know, imaginable, uh, it was a, 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 not a worship service, because it wasn't a worship service, it was, it was, an, uh, it was gathering together of Christians, you know, to do the things of Acts 2. The only thing we didn't do was we didn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, but the, and the reason why I bring this up is because when you, when you bring people together, uh, that, it was a very special time. Let me just say that. For those of you who were a part of that, it was a very, very special time. It was a gathering of Christians under, I mean, the, the happiness and joy was we're starting a new church in Vail, right? So there was a purpose behind it. But also than that, as we started gathering together, there were people of all ages and there was, I mean, bringing, everybody bringing their own potluck dish. It was fun. It was fellowship. It was so enjoyable, as a matter of fact. And it was, it created such a tight-knit community of believers, in my mind, that we didn't want to get rid of it. And so when we started worshiping on Sunday morning, that was when we collectively as a congregation decided, hey, let's keep this meal going, but let's move it to Sunday morning. And so that's how the whole pancake thing started on the second Sunday of the month was because we didn't want to lose that fellowship. Well, you know, then the pancake thing becomes the pancake thing, right? I mean, it loses its significance as, you know, of, you still get the fellowship aspect of it. Um, but fellow, but fellowship, um, the, the one thing about meeting weekly uh, for a meal is that uh, it, it bonds people together in an incredible fashion, but it is limited. You can't do that 
once you reach, I'm going to guess about 25 to 35 to 50, like 50 would be the absolute maximum that you could have of people gathering together for a meal. Because then after that, it's no longer intimate. It is, um, it becomes big, right? But if you had the same group of people meeting once a week for a meal in maybe 25 to 35 people, let's just say that, there is a bond that is created that is absolutely very, very, very powerful. And um, I have known this for a very long time because when Jennifer and I first got married and we, we purchased our first house, we were worshiping at Christ Church in Phoenix. And we would go to church on Sunday morning and Jennifer and I were very highly active um, in the choir. So we both sang in the adult choir. It was called the Motet Choir. Uh, and then I, we had another worship service that I led um, or was involved in and, and led um, called, uh, we didn't have a name, but it was, it was more, uh, it wasn't liturgical service. It was something else. Um, we did Chicago folk worship. Uh, we did a couple other types of worship. We even had um, a very famous singer come in and, and lead worship in the evening. Anyway, there was, uh, we were trying to figure out how to change things up to do things different to get more people involved. And, um, and, but we were in all those worship services. We noticed, you know, because I think they now do four or five worship services on a Sunday. We noticed all the young kids. So we invited all, the, we called them young marrieds. None of us had children yet. We invited them over to our house and we started a small group. And um, that group became very, very close. There's something about small group. There's something about meeting with people that are going through your life circumstances on a weekly basis. That And the, the thing is, is that, you know, the early church did that. The early church gathered together in small groups. They had a teaching, they had fellowship, um, they had prayer, and they had, uh, you know, this breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread in the early church was, was just that. They ate. It was a meal. Um, they all came together as a potluck, and they did a potluck meal. And then... They would, in the middle of that potluck meal, because if there was bread and there was wine, they would stop and they would pause and they would say, let's remember Jesus. And they would celebrate the Lord's Supper in the middle of that meal. And that's kind of clear from the early writings of the, from this book. But the problem was, is that like anything, it becomes... it can, it becomes rote, like, oh, we got to do this again. Hurry, quick, make the meal, get over there. Some people got there, they didn't have a meal, so they shared. But some people in the community, it may have been they were starving and they didn't have food. And so they would come to this meal and they would start to, um, you know, they would start to eat everybody else's meal and it just became out of control. Uh, and, and so that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, Right is that uh, this meal is becoming abused. It's a great thing that we do it, but it's becoming abused. And because it's becoming abused, we have to change it a little bit. So it changed in two ways. One way that it changed 
is that they separated the agape meal or this meal. They put it on Sunday night and, um, and they called it the agape meal. And in the middle of the agape meal, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And then by the second or third century, they created a worship service on Sunday morning and they put the agape meal as the Eucharist in the worship on Sunday morning. So it kind of went in two different directions. The agape meal ended up dying off and the worship on Sunday morning became the time where everybody was together that they could stop, pause, reflect, um, because worship on Sunday morning is a holy time, right? So it makes sense to do the agape meal in worship on Sunday morning. The problem with that is that you lose the holiness of the meal. Um, now, in our tradition, we have very much tried to maintain the holiness of that meal. But what we've lost is that part of the meal is that it comes from this time in the very, very, very early church where they would come together like on a Sunday evening or any night of the week and they would have a fellowship meal and in the middle of that fellowship meal, they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, um, and I, we have, we, just to show you that, when we do Holy Communion in our tradition, we bring people up around the altar and what would we call that? We call those tables of people. I know that sounds strange. It's like, we're going to bring up this table and we're going to bring up this table. Why do we call them tables? And the reason we call them tables is because in the very early, early church, people gathered at tables to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I'll just do one more anecdotal story. Um, I, uh, oper uh, I'm on the board of directors of an organization called Shepherd's Canyon Retreat. And at Shepherd's Canyon Retreat, it is a time where people come together for a week of healing. It's typically pastors and their wives. So we can have up to four couples come together um, for one of these Shepherd's Canyon retreats. They arrive on Monday and they leave on the following Monday. And when they arrive on Monday, they're full of hurt, pain, uh, anger, and it can be from a whole number of things that's going on in their life. Where, where they've gone out of control. They're spiraling into bitterness, if you want to call it that. Uh, and they come together on Monday. And then by the following Monday, because of counseling and therapy, there's a chaplain that's involved. There's prayer. There's worship. Um, I mean, it is really, truly a healing week. By, by the time Monday comes, they have shared um, their story. Uh, with the counselor and some of it they've shared with other people some of they maybe haven't I mean although I think probably by the end of the week those feel comfortable sharing at least bits and pieces of it it becomes a healing thing and the, and part of this is that every day morning noon and night night there is an abundance of food in this thing so you will not go hungry it's almost like being on a cruise ship right I mean it is the whole thing is food and fellowship and and I mean, it is basically three agape meals a day for a week. And it seems to me that at the end would be a perfect time to gather together in one last ceremony on Sunday, like maybe Sunday evening with one last agape feast, and then bring Jesus into this and say, let's remember that we've come together by, as Jesus, right? Um... And because, but 
But that's difficult because we have placed the agape meal in the middle of a worship service. And so everybody thinks in terms of you can't have Holy Communion except in a worship service. And that you can't have Holy Communion unless you have... Um, unless you all come from the same congregation or at least from the same denomination. Some of the people that come to this retreat are not necessarily LCMS Lutherans. It is a wide body of people that come to these things. And so it causes problems for the Lord's Supper. And it really breaks my heart because if you look at the original scripture, I mean, look at this. Um, the original Lord's Supper was meant to be not something to divide, but something to bring us together with healing and the presence and the power of Jesus. Uh, and so that, that's, I, that's, that's just something to consider, right? Because I don't think what we do on Sunday morning is wrong. And I don't think that uh, churches that limit Sunday morning to just the people in their congregations, I don't think that's wrong either. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think I have been to churches as, you know, I've been to churches where uh, when it comes to celebrating the Lord's Supper, they say, this is just for our congregation. You know, and we know that the visitors are here, but this is just for us. And you can see why that would be, because in the early, early church, when you came together for Lord's Supper, it was a closeness thing. I mean, it was, a, it was a brotherly, let's give each other a big hug type of thing. And if you've got a church of 35 to 50 people somewhere, this happened to us in the Midwest, you could see how maybe we just want to limit that to our little group. I don't see a problem with that, to tell you the truth. But, but can you do that outside of those contexts? Like, could you do it at a retreat where you could celebrate the Lord's Supper? And the, and the way I read this whole thing, I say, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? And yet, um, it, just, it just causes problems. And, um, and that's, um, that's just something that uh, breaks my heart, I guess I just want to say. Because... There is, if there is ever a time to celebrate the Lord's Supper is when a group of people come together over a period of time uh, and love each other and become family with each other. And that's the, that would be the time when you want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, so anyway, um, that's, that is um, where we're going to end it today. Uh, and I wanted to finish this, but I think I need one more Sunday on this or one more day on this. So we'll do it tomorrow maybe even two more days, and then we'll probably rapidly go through the rest of it because this is just so important that I don't want you to miss this. Uh, so let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful rain. Um, we continue to pray for your love in our world as we continue uh, to finalize the elections. And uh, Lord, we, we pray for your grace and your mercy every day. Bring us back again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.